Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. The holidays are now in full swing, and there's a lot of great things happening, not only here at Southridge, but I'm sure in your life and in with your family. And this is a great time here at the church. This is a faith-building time. It's not just a faith-building time. It's also a time where we are church-building as well. And so there's a lot going on. But this Thursday at 6 o'clock is our Vision Gala at the Boulder Ridge Golf Course. We have five tickets left. So if you have not bought a ticket, there's only five tickets left, or at least there was earlier this morning. You can stop in the lobby. We'd love for you to be a part and be in there. If you you do not uh, get a ticket. You're like, man, they sold out of tickets. Here's the deal I'll make you. I will sell you my ticket and I'll give you a deal. All right. 150 bucks. So normally 75, but you wait. It's not, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. But if you want to go, there's five tickets left. We have almost sold out. So we're excited. Hopefully you can make it. It's going to be a great time. It's not just a time of vision building, of fundraising. It's also to look back on what God has done over the year 2020, as well as looking forward to what great things God's going to do in 2023. So please make plans to attend. Don't miss out on the vision gala. You love just to be a part of it. I'm excited that so many people are going to be able to go. And thank you, worship team. I love that new song. And it fits the heart of this series. This series is about kingdom building. And the series is all about really taking the next step in building the kingdom. And so Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So we are seeking first the kingdom and we are building uh, God's kingdom because the Bible is about the king in his kingdom. And so that's what this series is all about, building that kingdom and seeing that grow and seeing these things develop. And so I'm so grateful and thankful that all that God is doing. Week number one, we talked about the heart of a kingdom builder and it starts with the heart. Everything starts with the heart. And it's not just the fact that God can make anything available. It's that, does he have access? And the door of our hearts is how God gets access. So that was week number one. Last week, we looked at postponing purpose And it's where we go from prioritizing God to postponing God. It's where he used to be the first, and then he's second, third, fourth, fifth, and it just keeps lowering in place. And this week, we're going to be back in Ezra. So what we're looking at is there was a king. His name was Cyrus. Cyrus released the children of Israel after 70 years of captivity to go back to Jerusalem with one purpose. That was to rebuild the temple. And they go back, and they start with the altar. And then they build the altar, they start in the foundation, and then for 14 years, the work stalls. And then last week, uh, a prophet by the name of Haggai comes on the scene, he preaches a message, gets them back on track, and so now we're picking up, because Ezra and Haggai, they're both contemporaries. And so I know it seems like we're jumping around in time, but really we're coming and we're staying in chronological order with this Bible story. So Ezra chapter number five, if you brought a Bible, you can open there. Ezra is right after Second uh, Chronicles. So find First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, and then First, Second Chronicles, then it's Ezra, you can find it. We're gonna be in Ezra chapter number five. And so 
If you don't have it, I would love to give you a Bible at the end of the service. One of our ushers leaders will make sure you get one. We have a New Believers Bible that if you need one, we want to make sure you have a copy of God's Word in your hand. And if you'd like to follow along, you can also follow along on the screen or you can download the Bible app. But I believe it's important that you see we are teaching straight from God's Word. And so as we dive into Ezra chapter number 5, I had a homiletics professor in Bible college. Now, homiletics is simply the study of what I do on Sundays, preaching. That's, that's a fancy term, homiletics, for preaching. And so I took all types of college classes, and I had a homiletics professor who would say this. He would say, questions convict, statements accuse. So he always taught us to use a lot of questions because it gets us thinking, gets us engaged. And so I'm going to ask you a question. What does it take for you to quit? What has to happen to get you to quit? I mean, this weekend, maybe you say, yeah, 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 Thursday, I was on a great diet until I saw the food, and then I quit my diet. Maybe you said, uh, you know, I was doing really good, but then I fell off the bandwagon. Or uh, this happened. There's good quitting and bad quitting. You know that, right? So the bad kind of quitting is when you are frustrated and upset in the workout and you're like, I'm never going to work out again. That's bad quitting. Good quitting is when you have substance abuse issues and you quit those substances. That's good kind of quitting. So there's good and bad. Today we're talking about the bad kind of quitting. The bad kind of quitting is what this new phenomenon, maybe you've heard of it. It's called quiet quitting. You ever heard of quiet quitting? Let me see your hands. A few of you. A few quiet quitting. Well, let me break it down. Quiet quitting is this. They show up to their job. They do the bare minimum. They may show up on time or late, but they will leave on time or early. And they just do the bare minimum. And it's called quiet quitting. Now, they, they, they try to justify why it's okay to, be, uh, to quiet quit because they say, well, it's my mental health. I, gotta, I can't be stressed. I can't any of that. And so, you know, that, that's this quiet quitting. The only problem is I've found that quiet quitting has seeped over into other areas of our life. People are quiet quitting on their marriages, doing the bare minimum. They're, 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 they're quiet quitting on their parenting, just the bare minimum. I mean, and, and it's weird what some people think is the bare minimum in their marriage. Well, as long as I don't cheat on my spouse, then this is a happy marriage. <laughs> really? Well, as long as the kids have food in the fridge and the roof over their head, I'm a good parent. Really? Well, as long as I show up to work, my boss should be happy. Really? You see, the Bible teaches us as believers, Christians, that whatsoever your hand finds to do, do with all thy might. It also says, whether you drink or whatever you eat, do all to the glory of God. Because I'm a walking testimony. So I show up early and I stay late and I work hard. That's what needs to happen. Today we live in a culture where it seems like people want to do the bare minimum, but yet still get praised, thanks, and promoted. And it's like, but you did the bare minimum. I shouldn't have to do that. And so we see that as well when it comes to our Christian walk. We're giving God spare time, spare change, and then we, we kind of think God should be grateful for that. We've quiet quit on God. So the question is, what does it take for you to quit? And with that thought in mind, would you go to Ezra chapter number five? Notice if you would, verse number one of chapter number five. It says, then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idu, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. 
So Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehoshadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. At the same time, Tatinai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bosnai, and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. I love verse number five. If you underline or highlight your Bible, I encourage you to do so, because right there, it says they could not get the work to stop. Now, what, is, what was so important about what they were doing? You see, they had one job that was to build the temple. And for 14 years, they had not done anything else. They built the foundation. They hadn't done anything else. But now they heard a prophet come. He preached. He encouraged their heart. They got back to their purpose. And now they're building. And here comes a government official saying, what do you think you're doing? Who told you that you could build this temple? I don't know if you have permission. Now, we don't have time, but if you were to go to chapter number four, you would see this same governor pulls the same tactic and it works. It gets the children of Israel to stop building. And for 14 years, they don't build. So it worked before. So the same governor does not want to see God's people progress. And I'll tell you this, the devil doesn't want to see God's people making progress. He doesn't want to see it. So you and I have to make the decision, what does it take to get us to quit? Now, in previous chapters, we see it didn't take much to get the children of Israel to quit. Too often, I'm afraid, nowadays, Christians are surprised when they are threatened by doing God's work. Not only threatened, but tested. They're surprised that there's ever a test, that it's ever difficult, that life ever has challenges. But the reality is, it's those challenges, those difficulties that make us better, make us stronger. And so we should not be surprised that we're being tested, that the work of God's being threatened, because Satan doesn't want to see the work progress. He doesn't want to see your marriage go forward. He doesn't want to see your parenting go forward. He doesn't want to see this church built. So of course he's going to try to stop it, but he's going to use one of his greatest tactics. You see, too often... You and I get uncomfortable, and so we quit because we want comfort. That's why, one of the reasons. But that's not the greatest tool that Satan uses. Satan's greatest tool, we see it in Genesis chapter number three. Genesis chapter number three, it's Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything's perfect, everything's beautiful. And Eve's minding our business, and what happens? A serpent comes to Eve and asks Eve a question. Has God not said you may eat of every fruit? And then Eve answers the question. She answers it incorrectly. But it was that question in her mind is now beginning to do a work. That's not the only time we see a question begin to cause some doubt. But I want you to know this. It's quitting always starts with a question. Anytime in life you ever quit, it actually started with a question. You quit on that job. You quit on that relationship. You quit on your parenting. You quit on God. It all started actually with a question. I have friends that are atheists, and uh, I don't want anybody in the world to be an atheist. I know there are some. You know atheists. But I don't want anybody to not believe in God and die in their sins and spend an eternity apart from him. So when I meet an atheist, I want to talk to him. I want to find out what happened. 
And whenever I talk to an atheist, this is the one answer they give to why they are an atheist. And it may sound familiar. Here's, here's what they will say. They will say this, and they actually ask a question. And the question is this. How is it, or why is it, that a good God allows bad things to happen to good people? That's their reason why they're an atheist. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? And they say, that's why I'm an atheist. And I'm like, well, that's not really a good argument for atheism. Because you're not actually denying the existence of God in your argument. You're just using that as a reason why you don't believe in it. You're not saying he doesn't exist. But think about that question for a second. That's a, that question, it has a goal. The question is trying to get you to question your association with God. It's trying to get you to say, I don't want to be associated with a God like that. That's all it's doing. It's not actually disproving the existence of God. It's just trying to get you to make God out to be questionable. But God isn't questionable. God is good. God is loving. God is just. God is holy. And so you and I, we have to be careful of the questions because it's questions that lead us to quit. So what's the question in your mind right now? Maybe your question might be something like, uh, why am I still working here? Why do I still go to church? Why do I still follow God? Why am I staying married to this person? Why do I still show up for my kids? Why do I still lift weights? Because when we start asking ourselves a question, we're going to end up with a conclusion. And oftentimes that conclusion gets us to quit. And what happens is people won't stop there. I'll have people, they'll come up to me and they'll say, hey, you know what, pastor, I really feel peace about this decision to quit. And I'll always tell them, of course you do. Of course you feel peace about it. Every time I go to the gym and I'm in the middle of an intense workout, I don't feel any peace. You know what'll make me feel peace? If I drop the heavy weights, I will feel peace. If I leave that gym, I feel peace. You quitting on your marriage, of course you will feel peace, but guess what's gonna happen? Now you got all that brokenness. He said, man, these kids are too much. You quit on parenting. Of course, you'll feel a little bit of peace for a moment. But here's the thing. You are mistaking relief from peace. You're just getting a moment's relief. That's not peace. Peace is wherever you go, you're okay with who you are. That's peace. You are not okay when you abandon your kids, when you abandon a relationship, when you abandon a job. Your internal self knows what you did was not right. But people all the time will say, oh, I feel peace about leaving the church. Really? What actually you're looking for is not peace, it's relief. But you're trying to justify it. And we use Christianese words like, oh, I feel peace. Can I tell you, every time I'm in a storm, every time I'm going through something difficult, I, 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 quitting always seems like it brings peace. And it does, it's short-lived, but it's not actually peace. Because God gives us peace in the storm, not outside of it. God's peace is found as you're walking through the fire. That's where his presence shows up. So us quitting is really just a way of saying, I want to be comfortable. So it's time to start questioning the questions that are leading us to quit. Where is that question coming from? Who's whispering that question? You can tell where a voice comes from by where it's leading you. See, what do you mean? There's that voice in your head that's getting you to question things. Where did that voice come from? You could tell where a voice comes from by where it's leading you. So where, where is that question leading you? Is it leading you away from God? 
I don't know anybody's heart in this room. I just know that Satan's always after your heart. He's always after it in any way he can. And he'll use questions. They were trying to use a question. These people failed, failed the test in chapter four, but in chapter five, they said, no, 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 we're not quitting. Go ahead. And it's interesting. I, I love this. In verse number uh, four, it's so crazy because they kind of turn into Karen's. It says, then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing the building. They even wanted to know the names of who was building it. You know those people, they get in your face and they want to pull out their phone and film you. And you're like, why are you filming me right now? Like, you've seen those people, right? They're at the accident. They're just going to film every interaction. And you're like, can you put the phone down? It's just annoying. It's all it is. I am live streaming this to my 37 followers. We will know your name. That's what's happened in this passage. And they were like, sure, go ahead, take our names. But we ain't going to quit. What God has called us to, it means that we don't quit. It means that we say, yes, I'm going to keep following, pursuing God. You see, there wasn't a reason that was good enough to stop their resolve. People will come to me and they'll ask for uh, marriage counseling. And I'll let them know. I'll say, hey, I'm not the best at it, but sure, we could sit down for some marriage counseling. And then the, the, the first session, I tell them something. And I'll say, hey, this is the make or break it right here, right now. You say, what is the make or break it? Here's the make or break it. I will tell them, I'll say, hey, tell me your view of divorce. And if they actually have thought about it and they've laid out a plan for what's okay for divorce, I said, hey, I'm not gonna do your wedding. If you've already planned it out, I'm not. You say, well, that seems really extreme. That seems really harsh. I said, no, because marriage is gonna get hard. And if you've already premeditated it, you've already thought about the way out, you'll take it. Because everything you do first starts in your head. It starts here and then we follow it out. We act on it and we go into fantasy land like, oh, it'd be so much better if I was with this person, if I was at that location, I was this, this. And it's all in our head and eventually we act on it because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It all comes out of our heart. It's all gonna flow there. And so what is that imagination? What's happening in your mind? And are you questioning these questions that are going through your mind? The Apostle Paul said, take captive every thought and make it obedient unto Christ. So don't qualify every question. Because they had a job and that was to take this rubble and restore it and build the temple. And these questions were keeping them from doing that. So we've got to quit our quitting. We've got to step back and say, God, why am I quitting on this stuff? Because things will get hard. Things will get challenging. But that's not when you leave. That's when you say, God, I know you're going to do something great. You say, what happened that they stayed faithful, that they followed God? I love it. In chapter number six, there's a lot of ground to cover. But basically, in chapter five, they write a letter to the king. It's no longer Cyrus. It's a new king by the name of Darius who's changed leadership over the 14 years. So Darius has to go back in the records, find out what Cyrus had said, and so in chapter six, Darius writes a letter to this governor. And I love what he says to the governor in chapter six. Let me read beginning in verse number six. It says, so King Darius sent this message. Now, therefore, Tatini, governor of the province west of the Euphrates River, and Shethar and your colleagues and other officials west of the Euphrates River, stay away from there. Isn't it amazing? This king is like, hey, stay away from the Israelites. He goes on in verse number seven. Do not disturb the construction of the temple of God 
Let it be rebuilt on its original site and do not hinder the governor of Judah and the elders of the Jews in their work. Verse 8 gets even better. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to help these elders of the Jews as they rebuild this temple of God. You must pay the full construction cost without delay from my taxes collected in the province west of the Euphrates River so that the work will not be interrupted. You know what just happened, my friend? It backfired on the enemy. The enemy had this plan to stop the building of God's temple, and it backfired. Not only is the temple going to get built, but they got to help build it, and they got to pay the bill now. You see, before it was the Israelites. If they would have left them alone, then the Israelites had to pay the bill. But because they messed with them, it backfired so bad that now they're having to pay for it. How awesome is God? Step back. What if they would have quit in chapter number five? They never would have seen how God was going to provide the whole bill 100% paid for if they would have quit. How many times do we quit too soon on something? When God was like, man, I was about to show you something so awesome. If you would have just held on a little bit longer, if you wouldn't have let that question just stew in your mind, if you wouldn't have just been going over it and over it and over it, and maybe in your mind, you're like, but pastor, I got hurt and pastor, this happened. And I'll tell you this about hurts, three truths. First of all, hurts hurt. Let's be honest. Hurt hurts, but hurts are meant to be healed. Hurts are meant to be healed. But many of us let a hurt hinder us. What do you mean? You won't let the wound heal. Whenever I'd get a deep cut growing up, my mom would rub some Neosporin in it, rubbing alcohol to clean the wound. Oh, I'd be like, no, don't put that in the wound. It hurts so much. She's like, it'll heal faster and it'll prevent infection. How many times we're like, no, 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 no. I just nurse my hurts. I want my hurts. And then I always have an excuse for why I'm like this. Wait a minute. Don't nurse the hurt. Why are you rehearsing the hurt? Hurts are meant to be healed. Hurts are meant to say, hey, it hurt. It's part of my story. I wouldn't want to wish it on anybody else, but by his stripes, we are healed. So if you're still hurting from a hurt that happened all that time ago, you don't believe the scripture that God says, by his stripes, we are healed, that God heals hurts. So you're preaching a false gospel to everybody else. You're saying God heals, God helps. But you are still nursing a hurt. You want to stay hurt. Instead of saying, God, I believe your power is there. I believe you're going to show up and you can move on in victory. And so they saw something awesome. They saw God turn things around and it backfired on the enemy. And this morning, you and I can see the same thing. But we never will if we quit. It's always too soon to quit. It's amazing. You don't have a lot of time, but in verse number 12, it says, let it be obeyed with all diligence. Verse 13, it says they complied at once. And then in verse 14 says the Jewish elders continued their work and they were greatly encouraged. I would be greatly encouraged too if somebody paid the ten and a half million dollars for our building project. Yes, we'd be encouraged. But that's what happened. That's what happened. That's what God did. 
You know, too often we talk about these things like, oh, God's a great God. And then we never allow God to show off and be great in our life. I love every, every chance I get. I like to tell this story. Last year, this was given to the church. And you know, the church always needs more Huggies wipes. Always could use more Huggies wipes. At least I thought it was Huggy wipes. I was like, oh, Huggy wipes, we, we can always use that. I'm grateful for everything God ever blesses me with. Because I've noticed one time when I was little where I was ungrateful for the gift I got and I never got a gift from that person ever again. The fastest way to cut off gift giving or blessings is to act ungrateful. So if somebody hands you a shoelace, be like, wow, that's awesome. Shoelace, how cool is that? I don't know what I'll do with it, but thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. So I got this and I was like, man, this is amazing. And they said, no, 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 it's bigger than that. It says, Casa. Inside was the down payment for this family's house. You say, how much was it? Just shy of $100,000 cash. It's not in here anymore. Some of you are like, bless me, pastor. I could use a, I could use a little bit of inflation. It's expensive. I know. I get it. But it's amazing because I see this story, and then they said, we're going to put God's house first, and we're going to see how God's going to take care of us. And then I found out a few months later that they were still able to buy themselves a house. They still were able to see God bless. I think that's worth clapping about. I, I know that at least one person, but I thought that was awesome. I love it how God can take what we give, and God's like, excellent. I can bless that, multiply it, and I can still give you what you want. You see, God's math doesn't work like our math. You see, one plus one equals two. But God says, if you give your one away, I can bless you with 10 more. That's what God can do. God can take the governor and make him pay for everything. That would be like our governor saying, hey, Micaiah, man, back in 2020, I was really mean to you guys. I made you guys close the church. I made you shut down. I sent police down to shut you down. Man, we got in a lawsuit. And I'm just sorry about that whole thing. So I heard about this building you're building. And so guess what? We're going to pay for it. And us, we're like, no, that's crazy. But that's exactly what happened in this passage. Because they didn't quit. Some of the best days in your marriage are ahead of you. Some of the best days in your parenting are ahead of you. Some of the best days in this church are ahead of you. Some of the best days in your Christian life are ahead of you. But you will never see it if you are quietly quitting on everything. If you're just like, oh, I'm just going to do the bare minimum. It's a sad testimony of Christians that we just do the bare minimum. We do more. You see, God wants to bless. He wants to pour out his blessings. He wants to show you what he can do. I love Malachi 3.10. It says, bring all the tithes in the storehouses that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. And so much, the blessing is so big, he says, you won't even have room to receive it. That's how God wants to bless you. Church, we're coming on to a giving season and what I mean by giving, it's not just presents we're buying for everybody else. It's not just cards and gift cards. I'm talking about a giving season here in our church, what God has called us to. And there's five different types of people in our church. You say, what do you mean there's five different types of people? I'm going to use this amazing whiteboard to illustrate this. 
our church is 100% funded by our members and regular attenders. There's no outside denomination. There's no outside big donors that say, hey, we are funding everything. No, no. Our church pays for the staff. We pay for the the facilities. We pay for all the bills, the offices. It's all 100% funded by our church family. The building fund is 100% funded by our church. We're looking for outside donors. We're looking for things like that. But understand that God's work is funded by God's people. That's just kind of how it works. And in this church, we have five groups of people. First of all, there's the potential And I love our church because we have a lot of new people at our church. And when we talk about potential, these are people that, man, you you don't give to Southridge. You're a part of Southridge, but you haven't given. And let me just let you know this. You can come, have free coffee, free donuts, sit here, attend every activity, and never give a dime. And we love you. We're thrilled that you're here. You never have to give a dime. You say, well, I still make it to heaven. Of course you'll make it to heaven. Not on first class. You'll be at the back of the plane, but you'll be, I'm just kidding. I'm lying. I'm lying. You know, it's like, I'll be in Delta and you'll be on Spirit Airlines. You know, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. But you can attend and that's fine. You're not treated any different. And as the pastor, I don't know what you give. I don't go like, ooh, Megan really gave a lot this month. I'm going to be extra nice to her. And there are pastors that do it differently. I'm just like, I want to make God to know that I'm doing right. So there's the potential givers. And then you have the next. And these are what I would call number two. You are a part of the church and you are an emerging giver. You're saying, you know what? Hey, I'm starting to believe the cause. So when I get an extra 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, I throw it in the plate. You're an emerging giver. And we love it when you do that. You know, anybody who gives over $5 will get a thank you letter from our church. If you give over $5, that's the threshold. So there are some of your kids that get a letter from me, signed from me, that says, thank you for that $5. Because God even cares about the widow's might. Amen? The smallest amount matters to God. It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. And some of these kids can outgive some of us adults. Because they're just like, hey, here you go. I love Austin won some money. We had Thanksgiving. He won some money. He was trying to give the money he won in the game away. He's just like, hey, you want 20 bucks? And everybody felt bad for taking his money. So I took it. I was like, I don't feel bad. Snatch that money. I'll take that gladly. There's emerging. And then there's a third group. This is what I call intentional. You are intentional. And if I can't spell correctly, it's because I is not very educated and I was homeschooled. All right. So intentional giving is you give maybe 1% of your total income back to God through the church. You may give 3%, 6%, or 9%. But you're intentional. You're like, hey, I, I give. And here's what I know about our church. Some of you say, I support this organization. I support this church. I support this ministry. And all of that is amazing. I think you should. Jane and I support other places. We're giving, we're contributing, not just to this house, but we want to be intentional. So you're intentional about your giving. And then there's a fourth group. And this is what I call tithers. Now a tither means this person gives 10%. Now you say, pastor, is that the net or the gross? 
that's a debate that you can have in your home. I just take 10%. I'm just like, God, whatever you bless me with. So what that means is, if I get a gift card, I'm tithing off of it. Because God blessed me. Because this, this whole thing was made up by an agrar- agrarian society. In agrarian society, they bring in, hey, here's how many sheep I have. I have 100 sheep. Hey, I'm going to give 10 back to God. I got 10, 100 bushels. So I'm going to give 10 back to God. So they just tithe. So I take that. I just give it back to God because I want God to bless everything. I, I want his blessing on all of it. I want God to rebuke the devourer because there's a devourer out. I want my shoes to last longer. I want the tires on my car to last longer. I want my refrigerator to not break out, break down. I don't want my water heater going broke. I, I, I don't want any of that. So I want God's blessing protecting all of it. Hey, I even pray that God will protect my health so I don't get an expensive medical bill and I'm in the hospital having to pay $50,000. So I just pray, God, I want your blessing on all of it. So I'm like, God, Hey, here we go. And this isn't fire insurance. This is just the biblical promise of Malachi 3.10. Now, you can say, isn't that an Old Testament thing? Isn't that Old Testament where we tithe? And don't we live in the New Testament? And I would say, yes, you're correct. That's Old Testament. But Jesus did something in the New Testament. You see, the Ten Commandments said, hey, don't even commit adultery with your neighbor. Don't do that. And it even said, don't murder. But then Jesus said, if you say raka to your brother in your mind, if you say, I hate my coworker, I hate my family, God's like, that's as good as you murdering them. That's what Jesus said. And that was in the New Testament. Jesus even said, if you look on a woman to lust after her, it's as if you've committed adultery with them. So Jesus took the Ten Commandments and he elevated it. What is Jesus trying to say? We do more under love than we do under law. So would I take this 10%? And this is not something that I'm going to say you have to do, otherwise God doesn't love you. No, I'm just saying, you want to grow, you want to be blessed, ask God to keep moving this number. Say, God, this is starting line. This is baseline. But I want to keep growing. I want to keep doing more. You know, Jane and I, we went out to eat when we first got married, and we were given 10% of our income. I was an associate pastor at Liberty Baptist Church on the east side. I was making $40,000 a year. Not very much. You say, when was this? 1990s? No, 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 no. This is, this is 2000. This is not that long ago. And we were given 10% of our income. And so people laugh. And I shared with you that meant I could afford a red box and a Costco hot dog. That was how much money I had left over after I tithed. But then we went out to eat one time and I tipped the waiter. And Jade said, why are you giving more to the waiter than you give to God? I said, no, 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 no. I give God more. She said, no, you gave the waiter 15%, but you only give God 10%. So start a little discussion in our home, little argument, little fight, little row. I slept on the couch, it wasn't fun. The wife eventually won and we tied more than 10%. And now, every year we're like, wow, isn't it amazing? I thought I would have less money to spend. No, no, God has increased, he's blessed more. It's amazing what God can do even though I put him first. Even though Jane will tell us and she'll still say to this day, I don't know how we're gonna make it this month, as she's writing the tithe and, and, and offering check first. She says, I don't know how we're gonna make, but I'm gonna write God's check first. And we still write out a check because we wanna be able to give something the offering, something mental that we just tie to it. You can give online, but we just say, hey, we're gonna give in person. And so there's tithers, but then there's a fifth group, and this is the extravagant givers. And I looked it up, it is spelled with three A's. Extravagant. This is people that say, I'm gonna go above and beyond. I want to go above and beyond where I just want to see kingdom work done. I want to invest into this. I want to see something happen because here's the reality. We're not able to take it with us. Now, 
I've laid out all this. Here's what I want to say to you. The Vision Gala is a fundraising time. It's a faith-building time. And Jane and I have already had discussions, and I've already said, hey, babe, we sold the house. We gave the money to the, to the church. What else are we going to give? And so she and I were having a discussion. We were talking about what we're going to give. And she said an amount, and then I said an amount, and then she said an amount, and I was like, I like my amount better. And then we go with her amount. It's higher. It takes more faith. Trust God. Because I want to be in this category. Because here's what I know, my friend. If God gives me a house, I don't get to take it with me. I don't. God gives me nice cars. That's a blessing. I don't get to take it with me. Clothes, I don't get to take it with me. But eternal impact, that's what matters. A soul saved. Investing in the kingdom work. But here's the crazy thing. God has blessed me far more. I shared with the first service, and I'll share it with you. I've made the exact same amount since 2016. My paycheck has not changed since 2016. I've made the exact same amount. You say, well, what about inflation? What about gas prices? Yeah, yeah. My mortgage, folks, when I sold my house, just so you know, on a three-bedroom, two-bath house in the Bay Area was $1,745 a month was my mortgage. My insurance brought it to just over 21. That's how much it costs for me. Renting doubled my mortgage payment, but I still make the same. You say, Pastor, how did that math work? I didn't marry a sugar mama. God has just come through. I'm not hurting. I'm not skin and bones. I ate really well, better than I should have over Thanksgiving. I have just found when God said, test me, I'm like, okay, I'll test you. And then God shows up in amazing ways. God shows up every single time. Folks, I don't like to put everything out there that God blesses me with, but God just keeps blessing. I have not struggled this past year, even though my bills doubled. And I didn't ask the church, say, hey, I need a raise so I can afford to do this. No, I made the exact same. The exact same. Because I don't want to pass on a burden to you. I'm saying, God, I'm going to figure this thing out. God, I believe you could do it. And God has still blessed me. I've still done things. I've still been places. I'm not hurting. As a matter of fact, when family came over this last week, we hosted, we paid for everything. And then when all the, the niece and nephew came over, we're able to give them little cash handshakes, cash high fives. Because that's the kind of uncle I want to be. The uncle that buys your love off with money. I don't want to actually invest time. It's 20 bucks. Say I'm your favorite. Maybe I'll make it 25. I would rather be the person to be able to give 20 bucks than need 20 bucks. And I've found that the more I give out, the more God blesses me with. That God's blessing just keeps coming and it doesn't stop. Now is life easier? No, sometimes I'm like, wow, this is a test. This is going to take faith, but that's the exciting part. And you say, yeah, pastor, but you're, you don't understand. I got this bill and this bill and this bill. My friend, we both live in the Bay Area. We both have to buy groceries. I'm not evading my taxes. I still pay taxes. But I do decide to have used old cars that I can pay cash for. I do decide that I don't eat out. I do decide that I don't always have to have the latest and greatest. 
I'm okay. I haven't had a new phone in years. I take Jane's old one because it's free, because I use a free upgrade. So has it changed my lifestyle? Yes, but I'm not hurting. You see, when we have a consumeristic culture, yeah, you're right, you won't have the money to be extravagant. But here's what I know about you. You and I, we love being around generous people, don't we? Isn't it fun to be around generous people? I heard Angel got 49ers tickets, and I was like, yeah, I bet they're way up there in those, but he's like, no, 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 they're good seats. And I was like, you didn't tell me, bro? I see how it is. Anybody want to be a worship pastor around here? We're looking for, just kidding. But he was blessed because I know he's generous. If you've been around Angel, you know he's generous. That's why people like to hang around Angel. So I'm not surprised when God blesses him, you say, oh, are those two related? Absolutely they're related. Absolutely. My friend, you and I cannot afford not to put God first. You ever seen a farmer that goes out to his field? He's got 100 acres, and he's standing looking at his field, and he's like, man, this is going to be a good harvest. And he's looking at his fields like, oh, I'm going to make some money this year. This is some good crops. And then the friend comes over and says, Bob, what are you doing? Oh, I'm waiting for my harvest. He says, Bob, there's just dirt out there. Oh, I know, but there's going to be a good harvest. No, no, Bob, did you ever put any seed in the ground? Well, no. Then you can't expect the harvest. How many of us expect God to provide and God to show up because God has not rebuked the devourer in your life? I've found that life and God still gets his. The scripture says, will a man rob God? You and I think that, man, I don't have money to tithe. Have you noticed you have a lot of other unexpected bills? I just find that, yeah, I still get my unexpected bills I didn't plan for. But what I've noticed is that I say, God, 10% is yours. And this is what I tell everybody how to budget. You take your, your, your gross, your net, 10%, give it to God. 10% pay yourself. Pay yourself. What does you mean, Pay yourself. Take that money, put it in a Roth IRA, put it in an interest-bearing account, put that away. That's your money. That's for a rainy day. That's for the accident, the medical bill. You put that 10% away. You don't touch it. And then you take another 10% and you put that 10% to work for you. Every month, you take 10% and you say, hey, I'm putting in stocks, I'm putting in crypto, I'm putting in something that's going to make me money. And then you live off the other 70%. You pay your bills, you live, you figure out how to live on that 70%. You will find that you are a very wealthy person because you are still generous with God and God is blessing all of it. But if you'll just say, hey, I pay myself, I still pay God and I still have the other stuff, you will look like a genius with your finances. And you just live off 70%. Here's the thing, my friend, you can do it. You say, oh, no, no, no. It breaks my heart that the majority of Americans have $78,000 of credit card debt. $78,000 of credit card debt. You're living under that weight. That's not even your student loans. That's just your credit card debt. You, we haven't talked about student loans. And you say, oh, I could, just, I could never do this. I found when you say, God, I'm going to prioritize you, God comes through and he blesses in extraordinary ways. My friend, spending is seasonal while generosity is a lifestyle. Generosity is a lifestyle. Spending is seasonal. So which one are you? See, God can come through. God can come through. We, we saw in this passage, he can do amazing things. My friend, the housing market is crazy right now in this area. 
And somebody today was telling me there's a house in Gilroy for $400,000. I know all of us are like, who's going to get it first? We're going to like hit each other for it. There's another deal somebody sent me. They were like, hey, there's a house in Alameda, 700000 I was like, well, that neighborhood's a $1.5 million neighborhood. You say, how did these things come to me? Because I give it to God. You know, I've never had to pay for my cars. I get free cars. You say, what, you have a deal at the dealership? No, I've given away cars. And so now cars have just been given to me. Because I just, you want to see God do something big? Give something big away. Watch it come back. Watch God do it. Church, I'm living proof that God can take care of you. Living proof that God will take care of you. Over and above, because God loves to spoil his kids. He loves to. I'm four minutes over time. Let's stand, heads bowed, and eyes closed. But if we quit, we will miss out on all that God wants to do. You and I have never seen a quitter that you felt like qualified as a great role model. You've never seen it. But there's going to be a question in your mind, and maybe you're quietly quitting. And this morning, you think quitting will speed up the process, but quitting just delays that process. So maybe this morning, God is saying, hey, where you thought you were going to give up, don't give up in that area. Where you thought you would back down, don't back down. This morning, say, God, I'm not about to give up on my kids. I'm not about to give up on you. I'm going to pursue you, God. I'm not going to let a question get me to quit. I'm going to start questioning my questions. Start questioning, why do I feel that way? Why do I think that way? And I'm going to start saying, God, I want you to be first and foremost in my life. I believe God wants to richly bless each and every one of us in this place. But it starts with first us just learning these small steps. Maybe you're not ready to go 10%. Maybe 1% is where you need to start. 3%. 6%. You say, well, maybe the church just wants money. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. It's about us being blessed. Having God's blessing on our family and on our lives and on our homes. And so this morning, we just want that for our church family. So Father, I pray for everyone that's here. I pray that you would bless them and strengthen them. Would you use them in a mighty way? Ushers, would you please come to the front as we prepare to worship the Lord through our tithes and offerings. And if you're a guest with us, I hope you know we don't invite you to church so we can get your money. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. We're building something that's much bigger than us. We're part of something so much bigger. And I love being able to say, God, here you go. I'm I'm excited what you're going to do. And so the only thing we would ask from you if you're a guest or you're not fully committed to a church family yet, you fill out your connect card. Don't worry about it. Let that offering basket go right by you and just know that your presence is a gift to us. We love that you're here, but I'm talking to our church family, our family saying, hey, we're the ones that we're invested and we're involved and we're saying, hey, I want to be a part of this and I want to give. And so let me pray over the offerings we receive it. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for how you're moving. God, you have provided for our church even through the most difficult of circumstances. You've blessed us with six acres of land. You've blessed us with this opportunity to build a church home in Santa Clara County, one of the most expensive counties in the country. And God, you're going to come through. And Lord, wouldn't it just be like you 
to make the enemy pay for the church. So I pray right now that you would just show up in spades and you would just provide the money needed to build our church, to build a home for our church family, where songs of worship and praise, where young lives could be mentored and molded, where youths and young adults have a place they can gather safely and not be under the threat of anything bad happening to them. Where single moms can come and find a place that cares about them. We'll link arms with them. A place for the hurting and broken. A place where those that are struggling with addictions can find freedom. We thank you that you're going to build it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.